Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and I feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, the Longhorn Republic on Facebook, and you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who still doesn't care what a Ute is, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, Daryl. What a man. I, I like doing fun podcasts where we feel good afterwards. And I also looked up because I wondered if Texas could uh for the pregamer, if we could call ourselves the Texas Texa um, and just drop a letter or, or, or two. But I found that the Ute is actually the tribe that the state of Utah, Native American tribe, the state of Utah is named after in there in full agreement. So at least I have good feelings about uh, about Utah. I mean, I have good feelings because they let us beat them. I don't know if they let us beat them, Kyle, <laughs> but Texas basically took everything it wanted from Utah and left nothing back. So uh, we're coming to you right after the Alamo Bowl, the morning after uh, Texas dominated Utah, number 11 Utah, 38-10. to 10. If it wasn't for a poorly timed and probably by the letter but not the spirit of the law 15-yard penalty uh, for playing after you lose your helmet on Keandre Coburn on a fourth down stop. Utah likely does not find the end zone all night. Interim defensive coordinator uh, Craig Nivar dialed up a pretty solid game plan. Malcolm Roach said in postgame that they basically installed an entirely new scheme in their eight bowl practices. So that led to 254 total yards including a 3.5 yards per carry on the ground, a team that was coming in averaging four plus. So Kyle, we got to start with the defense because the defense is a story of the day. What did you see from the Texas defense uh, that that helped them and allowed them to completely shut down Utah? Well, I mean, I, I think they got 
back to basics. And then when we talked about new defensive coordinator Chris Ash coming in, we talked a lot about his his scheme and and we saw you know not necessarily him putting in defense. I think you have to give all credit to Coach Nivar, um, the defensive staff that that was there um, for this game doing that. But you saw some of those looks that that people have been calling for and that that we hope to see next year. Um, some four down looks. Um, you saw uh, just just a team that didn't beat itself kind of got out of its own way, went out and, and let players make plays. Um, I, I just think it was an all around fantastic play. We were getting pressure. We played in their backfield. We had the kind of downhill swarming defense that we haven't seen in a few years. And again, it's so easy to, to microanalyze and slice that up. And, and maybe players are in the other scheme or it's too complex. They're in their heads, whatever. I mean, basically whatever it was that happened and we could talk a little more about some specifics and get into the X's and O's uh, if you'd like. But um, I think in the total of it, there was, there was a defense that was one of the best in the country coming into this game. And there was a defense that had been called by people on this very podcast, one of the worst in school history, and they flipped roles. The one that looked like the one of the best in the country defenses was the one wearing burnt orange. I think it's the simplified defensive scheme that allowed it because they weren't trying to blitz guys from 14 yards deep. They weren't trying to do – they just, okay, where are our best athletes? Where do we need to put our best athletes? And so guys like Joseph Osai was able to play in position for the first time, I think, since he's been on the 40 acres and did what made him – kind of a, a, a urban legend or a myth or a, or a mythological being in Texas high school football a few years back. Uh, you got guys like Caden Stearns, who really is just playing that middle field role, and he's able to just kind of flow from sideline to sideline, and he was finally healthy. And so those guys were in good position to like make plays. And, and I think we said it on the, on the preview podcast, so if you line up Texas athlete for athlete against Utah – Texas stands way taller than Utah, and so just let those athletes go play. And I think that's what Nivar's scheme did. It was really, really simple, kind of just putting guys in position to be in position, for lack of a better term, and that opened up a lot of uh, opportunities for Texas on defense. we got to talk about Joseph Osai. I mentioned him. That guy was everything and everywhere for Texas. Joseph Osai, uh, by himself, lived up to half of my – Firing Smokey from the preview episode. I think I said two sacks. Osai gave me three. Praise yeah. the Lord. So thank yeah. you, Joseph. Um, Way to go. He was playing that five technique kind of on the edge. Played really, really well. Kept his outside arm free. Was able to kind of beat double teams and things like that. So the the defensive line, I think, was probably the biggest, at least for me, the biggest revelation of this game. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's you can't understate how good he was, and and really let's let's be honest, probably the two best games of his career, and he's had a few, um, were in the two bowl games the past two seasons. Big game Joe, uh, we talk about big game Tom, but uh, I really like this, and and I mean if if the the simplest thing that uh, Nivar did to wet the palate with his scheme in this game was move Osai out to the outside and and show. Ash definitively that next year that defense should feature him on the edge then man that in itself would have been a win in this game but I mean just the the, the level that he played at was as good I mean he had nine tackles obviously like we said six for a loss three sacks like just the the beautiful little uh, symmetrical even stat line right there but even more than that I mean there was a there was a play I actually was was Rewatching uh, just before we recorded this on a fourth and one, where Utah kind of seemed to be driving on their first drive out of the out of the half, and they they ran a, a zone read and they freed up um, on the edge. Uh, 
Taquan Graham as the read player and double teamed with two tight ends um, to the side when Huntley kept it double teamed Osai again fourth and one who's the person who made the stop in the backfield yeah Osai like he just did so many things it wasn't just okay he's a really good pass rusher a blitzer off the edge which was kind of again where he dominated in high school it was hey this guy knows how to wreak havoc, turn things back inside to the big uglies with the pursuit that I talked about coming. Um, just be the first guy to the ball, get off of blocks, constantly be moving. I mean, he just was beautiful. It looked like, and we think about some of the great linebackers in Texas history, but I mean, it looked like you were watching a kid like, wow, can't wait to watch this guy play on Sundays. And he's still got a lot of Saturdays in him, which is which is exciting. He just looked another level. Absolutely. He, he looked like you, you think of names like Charles Amenhu a few years ago. You think about his senior year. You think about guys like Brian Robison, who had some incredible plays from that defensive end position for Texas. And, and if Osai can even be 60% of what he was against Utah every game, then he looks like one of the probably top defensive ends in, in history. And you got to talk about the guys that played opposite him as well. They kind of had three big names at defensive end, uh, Malcolm Roach, Taquan Graham, and then obviously Joseph Osai. Uh, Roach and Graham both finished with four tackles and one sack of their own. So uh, between the two, eight and two, which again, these stat lines are just uh, just dumb. And so That's awesome. even, even when they didn't kind of get get the ball carrier down in the backfield, they were forcing plays to go where they didn't want to. Where Whereas Utah tries to abuse that like off-tackle kind of BC gap kind of situation, they are able to kind of hold the point of attack, flush the ball outside, and then let a linebacker or a guy like Caden Stearns who able to come up with an open field tackle. And, and that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but forcing teams to go off schedule and outside of game plan from a defensive end position is just as good as the tackle for loss. Yeah, look, and and, and and let me just say this because it's our job as journalists and as as true, you know, professionals as, as we might like to fancy ourselves, um, to to say, look, this probably um it's not a Big Twelve offense that they faced. They they were an offense that historically Todd Orlando his defenses as well have often done pretty well with a team, um, even with a mobile quarterback, Texas is Achilles heel, but a team that likes to, um, you know, line up and try to run uh, up the middle, downhill running, um, Texas has been able to find success against that. I, I, again, I just want to put that caveat in. They did it fantastically, but but they really, truly said, that's what you want to do. Zach Moss, who is pro football focuses, number three running back, uh, in the draft coming up early rankings, but um, a, a guy who who is getting NFL looks, who's really, 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 really good, led the country in broken tackles. Like I'm not saying it was an easy job, but they knew what Utah wanted to do. And all credit to that defense. And again, I think it starts with that defensive line uh, with with Roach, with Graham, with Bimage got in there. Certainly with Coburn, um, with just kind of shooting in there, holding their line against a, a big uh, offensive line, um, not allowing them to do what they wanted. I mean, just getting in the backfield, changing him, you know, making him into a, you know, bouncing or, or, or making Huntley keep it more than he probably wanted to took, took a real weapon in, in Zach Moss out of the game. I mean, a, a guy who's never not had a thousand yard season, um, just gets, you know, touchdowns. I think this was only his third game of the season without a touchdown, just, um, held him to 57 yards, you know, a guy who was averaging well over a hundred. So I, I just think, um, you know, the credit is there. Hey, everyone in the world knew what Utah wanted to do and what Texas needed to do to stop them. 
but Texas did it. And I just think it's, it's again, that defensive line I can't give enough credit to, and that's not just Coach Nivar. Obviously, that's Giles and the whole coaching staff who coached them up. But, I mean, just, just fan-fantastic job. We have to talk about the secondary as well because that was a impressive performance. The other half of my firing Smokey, I talked about interceptions. I really thought the secondary would do well. And they didn't come up. They didn't take away the ball. But they took away a lot of what Utah wanted to do through the air, even without a guy like Brandon Jones who uh, was sidelined due to an undisclosed injury. Um, the... The way that young guys like Chris Adimora played was really, really impressive. He plays fast and angry and put himself in position to make plays but not take dumb penalties. Uh, you saw, again, Caden Stearns, who looked as healthy as he has all year, playing like we know Caden Stearns can when he's healthy, kind of flying around the ball, making good open field tackles, kind of setting the tone. Being He's not necessarily a vocal leader, but maybe a, a leader on the field who's able to who's able to, to get people in the right position. And then even you talk about linebackers, uh, Court Jacquez, or Jaquis, I'm going to say it wrong. I told you how to say it, and then I said it wrong. Uh, Court <laughs> Jaquis, former walk-on, got awarded a scholarship at the beginning of the year. Um, he played really, really well, kind of set the tone early, flushed guys out of the backfield, was the recipient of some of that pressure in the middle. Uh, you saw Jawan Mitchell, who we thought was kind of a weird, like, is he going to stay with the program? He left early at the last game. Jawan Mitchell, Jawan Mitchell played really, really well when he was on the field. Uh, so just from, from front to back, this defense was really, really incredible and you talked about a lot of guys who you're gonna see next year obviously it's kind of a bit of a sample with Brandon Jones being out with uh Stearns being the leader from the back and, and like you said just just everywhere ball hawking every time he had a, a solo opportunity one-on-one tackle he made it um again if that's just taking that decision out of their heads and letting guys play free then then that's beautiful let's do that next year um but but like you said Adam Mora I mean that's a that's a young kid uh who made the step up I think I think Cook and Green both played pretty well obviously again not the best passing offense that UT faced all year um but Huntley a guy who people raved over his efficiency um and they really held him down I think but I don't think enough can be be said about uh, about Jaquis. I, I think um, is a guy who played special teams and got his first opportunity in the biggest stage, and had just had that neck collar looking like a a Hager, the 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 linebacker older variety than the defensive end variety, but you know looking like uh, one of the old school throwback guys. Just did. Uh, an amazing job. Now, I don't know if he's going to immediately insert himself. I know the message boards can go off into next year's equation, but I mean, if there's a team that's going to try to run in the middle, we clearly showed that he can be a workhorse. Um, but he showed a really well-rounded game. Herman said if there was a special or a uh, scout team player of the year, he would have won it back-to-back years um, after the game. So, I mean, they, they clearly know this kid is good. Um, and, and was preferred walk-on with the status of his dad. So, I mean, just really one of those stories that just makes you feel good. Um, so, again, we, we could talk about the defense. I think you put some stats in here on their actual drive-by-drive, drive, but just the amount in the first half that you only let Utah cross midfield once, which is amazing. And then they, you know, like you said, without a penalty, probably don't give up a touchdown all game. Like, kudos. It's it's an incredible performance, and and, like, in the best way possible, I'm sitting there 
thinking about what if this defense shows up in Dallas, right? What if this defense shows up in Fort Worth? What if this defense shows up in Waco, right? Texas is looking at a vastly different season. But again, Chris Ash came into the, the kind of his first conversation with the players saying, hey, it's open competition next year. And he got his first look at some guys that will probably be at the top of those depth charts. But we can't talk this game without talking about what the offense was able to do, put up 38 points on what was characterized as one of the most stingy defenses in the country. Well, 438 yards, if that's stingy, then that uh, it feels like when, um, when Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up on Christmas Day, giving, just giving money away. Let me get that big turkey and take it over to the Cratchits, right? 438 total yards, 207 passing, 10.9 yards per attempt, 6.2 yards per carry on the ground en route to 231 rushing yards. Now, Sam Ellinger was named the offensive player of the game, putting up 274 total yards and four touchdowns overall, 201 through the air, 73 on the ground. Ellinger played really, really well, showed a lot of touch on some long balls uh, and, and was able to move and get out of the pocket when he needed to, but also stay and make his reads when he had to. Yeah, and there was a point, obviously, I got so excited. I texted you immediately after the opening play when they, uh, first of all, came out in that bunch formation we'll talk a little bit about, but were able to get Colin Johnson between the hashes open and and he went up and made a great catch. Sam put a good ball, 34 yards, boom, let's start it. Um, drive went well. Or, you know, I, I think after that, there was a little bit, um, I don't know if Sam was just excited. He was trying to do too much. He got a little wobbly. A couple of his throws went high. Um, kind of his next four throws were not the best throws that you expect. He breaks that pretty quickly, goes 11 for the next 13. And one of those, if you recall, there was a third and three um, play in, I believe, the second quarter um, where uh, he goes outside shoulder deep to Duvernay. It's a fantastic catch. It's his first of the day. But it was also a perfect, perfect, perfect throw. Something that, you know, like, again, the knock on Ellinger has been, does he have that throw? Like, outside the numbers... Um, you know, 40 yards downfield, dropping it in from high on a dime to where only his receiver can get it. And he did perfectly. I mean, it was a Joe Burrow. It was a, I mean, name any quarterback you want in the country, Trevor Lawrence, whoever, whoever, no one's going to throw that better than him. And at that moment, it kind of reminded me, that's right. Like for the kind of down second half of the season that he had um, and, and a couple of the lapses he's had this season, which again was just a fantastic season, but he set the bar so high, he's still got that in him. And that should excite everyone when we look forward. But I mean, obviously we knew what he'd do on the ground because um, this was a stingy run defense and and he was the X factor with his 73 yards on the, on the ground that really broke the game open. And so, I mean, Sam's a winner. He did exactly what needed to be done to win, and just just especially in the second half, um, and and really I guess the end of the second quarter, but the second half just just was superlative. Absolutely, Sam Sam played one of his better games of the season. I think you would you would put this. Uh, I mean, LSU was obviously probably his best game of the year, but uh, the the fact that Texas was up so big that they were able to put uh, Casey Thompson in at the end, and we got to see a flash of his feet, which was nice. Um, they gave the they gave the seniors and the starters a curtain call, which was great. I love that. So seeing Sam come out with those seniors, obviously Sam will not obviously the 
The jury's still out whether or not Sam will be back next year, but smart money is on Sam coming back. Um, the running backs, I think, also played a big part in it. Keontae Ingram had himself a game, 13 carries, 108 yards, and a touchdown. He also added in a receiving touchdown on my favorite play of the night where they ran the student body right and then threw it back to him. I thought they should have done that on that fourth that fourth down where Ellinger threw his only interception of the night. Roshan Johnson only got six touches but made the most of them, 49 yards on the ground. Um, Roshan needs to stay at running back. I'm just going to say that. Uh, the, the run defense or the run offense was able to get – what it wanted in every sense of the, the word. Oh, it was beautiful. I mean, some of those packages, like we talked about, coming with that bunch formation and when, how they were able to scheme and get kind of one-on-ones with Keontae Ingram and Roshan Johnson against, like, cornerbacks, which I like that matchup, and they proved why. Um, Keontae Ingram had the highlight of the game, I think, probably with his hurdle. Uh, well, he had a couple fantastic highlights, but I think the hurdle was pretty incredible. Um, but Roshan had, had out of that exact formation on that outside zone, um, had two about 20 yarders accounted for most of his yards. But the thing that I loved about him that exactly like you said, proved that he was a running back is you may not have had a ton on his other four yards, um, but all of them were where he got hit in the backfield. And, and I think if I my rewatch was uh, correct, at least half of those, he broke a tackle in the backfield to even get anything. So, I mean, just a fighter, a guy who doesn't go down easy, a guy who is only going to get better. I mean, but hey, I'll say this. If, if you were one of the people who said Bijan's coming in next season, you know, make sure the path is cleared for him with his royal throne and, um, you know, just everyone else lay down. I, I think Keontae Inkerman had something to say about that. Don't count out the fact that um, you have a really, really fantastic runner in him. And that just that's just more competition and more opportunity for great running backs uh, is only a good thing. So I'm really I'm happy for Keontae because, again, eight yards a carry and, and two touchdowns. Um, that really were the difference in in the game. Um, fantastic. You know, like for a guy who's had an up and down year, a fantastic cap at the end. Texas should not be in a position where they have to move guys next year, where they're bringing former walk-ons that move from running back to safety and then back over to offense just in case, you know, in case of emergency break glass kind of situation. Because next year, theoretically, they'll have Keontae, hopefully Roshan, Danny Young, Bijan, like, and if Darian Brown continues his progression, we could be looking at another guy in that Or Whittington, room. right? Like, let's not forget the five-star who... Forgot about who, Whittington. I forgot about Whittington. We don't know where he's going to play, but, you know, in theory, right now and today, is listed as running back on the depth chart. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, the talent, the embarrassment of riches uh, is there. So, seeing that come to fruition, I mean, think about it. Is Texas going to play a team next year? We'll see how LSU's defense looks, but play a team next year with a better defense than Utah, who had the number three total defense, and I think the number seven rushing defense, giving up 70 yards per game on the ground. Remember, Texas rushed for 231. That's, I don't know, Gerald, I'm not the math guy, but at least three times greater than their season average. Um, That's fantastic. I mean, that is like, that is, you took their strength and you literally turned it around and stabbed them with their own sword. I mean, that's just, that's beautiful. Absolutely. So we have to talk about the wide receivers. They've been the story of the year. Devin DuVernay, three catches, 92 yards and a touchdown. Caps off an incredible senior campaign. One of the best seasons that we've ever seen from a wide receiver at the University of Texas. Colin Johnson came back for one final ride. Uh, Through reception, 62 yards and a score. Texas really took advantage of the fact that Utah was without its probably three best defensive backs. And I honestly assumed, and I think this was your firing Smokey Kyle, that, that the receivers would have bigger numbers, but they had big enough numbers. 
Yeah, I'll take that. You 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 got to be right, and I you know got to be. I'll say directionally right. Um, <laughs> I think what I just talked about with the, with the running game, you know, hoisting them on their own petard, uh, which is a phrase I'd love to use in any opportunity. But uh, the running game being so effective, um, and really them being able to choke the game out, being up like they were in the in the second half. I don't know that anyone necessarily predicted uh, those things, but they they threw where they needed to, and they did that. Um, really incredibly well the crazy thing when you think about it is when you look at the the box score no receiver had more than than three catches I mean they basically did it with just really like precision pinpointed attacks they um you know Duvernay three catches for 92 uh, Colin Johnson three for 62 uh they they put some double coverage on him after he opened up the game and and he made a great leaping catch as well for his for another and then had the touchdown um so you know got everything he he could uh where balls were, were catchable for him but I mean it really wasn't uh it really wasn't a, a game where they just did a, a, a big 12 style offense they kind of out Big Ten or out Utah to Utah, you know they didn't have to throw the ball all the way around. But when when you do that, if you think back to the uh, the, the the former play action football of Texas a couple years ago with Foreman as the running back, if you do that, when you do pass it, when you set it up to get the passes, when you you know when you take your shots, you have to convert them and execute them, and they did that. The receivers were perfect. I mean, two of two of Duvernay's catches were just out of the out of this world, over the shoulder um, deep ball catches. That again, having fly paper you know hands is is pretty nice so um i think duvernay did nothing as he went over 100 yard or 100 catches for the season and almost 1300 yards did nothing but improve his uh his draft stock and i really hope for for the evaluators that colin johnson did as well and i think both of those guys will go to the combine and both of those guys will show out at whatever also they'll probably both end up at the senior bowl so i think those workouts are where they'll make their money they'll see the physical attributes of those this is the last look that we'll get of Texas before spring practice. And so, one, Texas finishes the season 8-5. and five. Uh, There were some high expectations and high hopes going in. Uh, disappointing is, is an okay way to describe some of the things that happened. But as we look at an 8-5 and five season where Texas dealt with a ton of injuries, especially on defense, uh, and Texas now has signed a number nine class, what does this do for your perception of the season looking back? Uh, you know, it's so one game does not a season make, right? Like we know that it's, it's very easy right now to be on a high, um, to, to view this and just say, okay, that, that means clearly that they, you know, were that team all year injuries kept them from being that. And, you know, did uh, just a couple plays in each game kept them from this being a 10 win season. It's easy to do that. There's revisionist history that can be done. And I don't know that that's entirely wrong. I think, yeah, if a couple things went differently, they could have won a couple more games. But I think this shows the ceiling for this team and maybe even a little bit more when you think about what we talked about of, of Ellinger not being fully unleashed through the air or didn't have to. Um, I think I think that this says, uh, you know, what if we could have done that every week? Hey, what if we got out of our, our own way on defense and just allowed our athletes to go out and, and – be the the things that got them you know recruited so uh so highly on campus I, I think it makes the season a little bit bittersweet to look back and think what could have been but I also do think that y- you have to say you know what at a point when you were out of the big 12 contention you played Texas Tech and you you, you had a great game to close the season for the seniors and then when you got a bowl matchup against Utah again the hottest team in the country before their Pac-12 championship loss um to to 
Oregon, a team that no one wanted to face. The, the the you know vaunted defense with with you know just efficiency on offense who knew how to mow you down. There were so many people who who, who said that wow the the betting line really favors Texas only being a touchdown underdog. You know this could be a three or four score loss for you know uh, for for the Longhorns. I think coming in and, and punching that narrative right in the mouth is fantastic, and it, and it does give you a good a good feeling. The the off season will now, in my opinion, be spent saying, "How do we treat every game like it's a bowl game?" I know they say it one and zero. It's all about this week, but but how do you get out of the big game Tom pendulum swings, and how do you get up for? Um, Kansas, who it took a last second field goal to to beat again this year. No, you know how do you how do you get this team that you saw this week so that we're not looking back in retrospect bittersweet and saying why couldn't we get that every week? So I leave it a little bit mixed, but but ultimately you know with with some optimism to carry through the off season. We talked about it in the preview show, but like eight and five is way better than then seven and six like it feels completely different and especially after the the back half of the texas season looked the way it did where texas went in and like they were five and one in the first six games uh and then they ended up what two and four in the last six games so like the being able to rebound from a collapse and come come back out with a let's be honest kind of a disjointed and confusing coaching situation because they don't really know which of those coaches are going to be there next year right so the fact that they were able to do that says a lot about what Texas can do with a full offseason as they get things reacclimated and, and uh, moving forward. So on that same note, let's look at kind of spinning it forward or spinning it forward a little bit. And so what does this do for your expectations uh, for 2020? As we got to look at what Texas will pro- likely have next year, what does that do for how you feel about 2020? There, there's a quote that that I love. Um, legendary Italian football manager Giovanni Trapattoni, uh, who I'm sure we're all familiar with on this other football podcast, but I guess we'll call it soccer. Manager had a quote, um, and he said, "You know, a good manager, good coach, think of it in football terms, makes a team 10% better, but a bad manager makes it 30% worse." Um, I think that's probably true in 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 football as well, right? Like a good coordinator. Um, can make a team 10% better. A good head coach can make a team 10% better, but a bad one can make it 30% worse. I think that's probably pretty apt. Um, and and, I, and I'm not here to throw shade at either of our coordinators from this past season because I think they each had some successes. Um, but as you as you bring in, you know, two new faces um, with a lot of, of, you know, past experience that's been successful, obviously, um, a lot of promise for the future, how quickly are we going to know where they fall kind of on that spectrum? Are, are they going to make a really good group of players that much better, or are they going to be the limiting factor, right? I think if you want to look at the offensive side, I think you know they ran some things in this game that we hadn't seen all year. I, I, I said it earlier, I think that bunch formation was a, was a marvelous success, something Utah hadn't seen something Utah wasn't really prepared for and something that looking at what Utah does and saying you run a man coverage, um, you like to be physical, you like to stack the box to take the runaway and force the pass. So we're going to put you in a position that puts you on skates because a man coverage has to uh, has to make some picks. And, and you know, Yurkis had a, uh, had a, has a diamond formation he's run. 
in the past that does similar schemes. So I really like that as a, as a little appetizer for what we're going to get next year. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I really like what we saw and I like to think about what we can do. And so I, my expectations are high. My expectations for the amount of talent, even with our two best receivers, again, fantastic careers for both of them, but leaving my expectations are still ceiling, you know, atmospherically high for the offense. So I really expect that to to be even better next year and to take a step forward in Sam's senior year. And then in the defensive side, Ash comes in and you just look at what they did where they put four men down, they put hands in the dirt. Um, they, they played, you know, uh, heavy doses of man and, and gave kind of clear responsibilities to the defensive backs and it executed really well. So now, okay, great. Great little 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 snack. Let's see how that grows next year, and let's see how it works against Big 12 offenses. Let's see how it works against really, really shrewd offensive coordinators and offensive-minded head coaches um, who are going to want to come in and tear you apart, right? Like, they're going to see at least 10 offenses next year who are just as good or better than what they saw against Utah. So I am very optimistic about what we saw and how that translates. I'm very excited to hear about how these guys get in and, and, and start making their impact. Absolutely. And, and what it shows me for the future is that the cupboard is stocked. There is a ton of talent for these new coordinators to work with. Uh, and I think that was not the case. Maybe when Charlie strong came in, I think the cupboard was a little more bare. And I think when, Tom Herman took over the cupboard, had a little bit in it, but like the cupboard is fully stocked for whoever these new coordinators are. And so getting a guy like Yursich in there, who, again, we talked about it on our podcast we did two days ago, like the guy who's known for squeezing every drop of talent out of an offensive group. That's what I'd like to see. I'm still, we didn't see a ton from the young receivers in this game. So I think that's the one thing on offense that I'm kind of not concerned about, but I'm, I am wanting to see what happens in spring. You know, guys like Jake Smith, Brendan Eagles, Malcolm Epps, are they going to be able to step up and fill those Duvernay and Johnson sized uh, shoes? But on the, on the defensive side, Texas is returning like nine starters. And again, Ash said it's an open competition, but having nine guys with, with significant playing experience that are competing for those spots, I'm, I'm so, so happy for it. So the last thing we could talk about real quick, Kyle, is going into this game, there was a, uh, there was a little bit of, of warmth that people were trying to at least cast underneath Tom Herman's seat. And so how do you feel, what do you feel like the temperature is of his seat after this bowl game? You know, <laughs> we talked about big game Tom. If if Tom Herman was brought in exclusively as a bowl game coach, the guy's one of the greatest all time. He improved a four and zero as a head coach, three and zero at Texas. Uh, the, the senior class that he had never lost a bowl game under him. You know that that's that's amazing. Um, <sighs> I don't think the pressure was ever on can Tom win win big games. Um, I think the pressure is on. Why is UT an underdog ever, right? Like, why can't we be favored in every game we play uh, and, and, and win most of them, right? Like, why do we need to punch up? This is Texas. We're Texas. There is a bit of an arrogance here. We admit it. We own it. That's part of our DNA, by God. We're Texas. So for Tom Herman's seat, like, if we're eight wins again, but, man, we, had, we, we were plucky underdog. Like, we don't want to be... Houston, like wow, what an upstart! We don't want to be SMU in their current iteration of who don't want to face this this group of five. They're they're dangerous. Like we don't want to be Baylor. Like look at these guys. Who would have expected it from them? We expect to be Alabama. We expect to be, and, and we can talk in future podcasts about 
exactly where those expectations come from and if they're 100% rational. But we expect, there is an expectation at the school that we are, you know, at least Oklahoma, right? That we are, we are the best of the Big 12 at the elite crop, you know, competing with whoever, if that's Oklahoma, whoever's the, the other best team and trading blows, you know, fairly. And then we're going and competing in the biggest bowl games against the biggest team. So the pressure right now is throttled. It doesn't hurt for him to sit down. It's a nice, maybe your seat heater on a cool day in your, in your, you know, uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee. That's, that's uh, Jeep. The, uh, I don't know their slogan, but no, they, you know, it's, it's nice. It's a comfortable warmth right now. It's not hurting anybody. The first time next year, I think it can. It, there's there is a, a butane tank that's ready to be lit. So so for Tom, I hope there's no comfort. I hope he doesn't relax on his haunches. Enjoy the coziness, the warmth that that's you know just just the temperature you like it, just just hot enough. But uh, I, I I worry that eight and five don't don't get comfortable with it. No complacency. Strive to be better. I think that's fair. I think the best way I can describe it is like the air has been let out a bit, but can be refilled rather quickly depending on when and how. Like if, if Texas comes out next year and absolutely craps the bed against OU in Dallas, ratchet up that heat again. Or mm-hmm. if Texas goes to uh, goes to Baton Rouge and gets the doors blown off of them in week two, ratchet up the, the, the intensity. So I think it has subsided, but it can, it can go from, you know, a four to an eight on a scale of 10 with one or with one real bad game I don't think that the pressure is completely off so that's a wrap on Texas football for 2019 and for the worst decade in Texas football history so we will obviously be with you throughout the offseason we'll cover everything that comes up especially as Texas looks to fill and keep and retain some of its coaches and and fill those coaching spots Uh, so we will be back at Tim Beck actually is uh, no longer with the team. He's heading to NC State, so that'll be a spot that's open, and we will get back with you as soon as we know more about that. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, so now that brings us to uh, our, our favorite segment each week, the burnt orange lenses, and and again, we're still high on some football, but we're going to talk uh, we're going to talk outside of just Texas football with all the things uh, that have a burnt orange tinge to them. There were other bowl games, Gerald, believe it or not, none as fun as the Alamo Bowl, of course, um, but there was one that I think you and I both got some uh, some enjoyment out of. University of North Carolina Tar Heels beat the Tar. Out of the Temple Owls in the uh, Armed Forces Bowl, fifty-five to thirteen. Gerald, is Mac Brown the answer to Texas's coaching search? Uh, no. Mac's gonna keep dancing. Miss Sally, who got the game ball after the bowl win, said that Mac is only coaching at the University of Hawaii or North Carolina, and so uh, I don't think he's going anywhere out of Chapel Hill. But it's again, I I will come back to this. The previous two seasons, these guys won five total games. To win seven for these seniors is just absolutely incredible, and I love seeing it. Yeah, it's it's man, they they dominated too. They outgained them by almost three hundred yards. Just 
really, really, really cool stuff from Mac, and it seems like they got something cooking there. So, you know, Mac Brown might just be a, a team that, that finally gives Clemson a little something to deal with in the ACC. We're all rooting for Mac. Another team that absolutely embarrassed their opponents, um, the LSU Swamp Bayou Bengals. Took OU behind the woodshed. I assume they have woodsheds in rural Louisiana. Um, maybe they took them out just into the woods and drowned them. Whatever, whatever uh, d- dangerous uh, metaphor you want to use here, they they put an absolute hurting on the, the the poor Sooners in the playoff. It did not seem like a playoff game. Literally, there was a point in the second quarter when I said, "Is LSU going to bring their starters out for the second half?" I'm like that's crazy in a college football playoff game to beat someone as badly as they did with almost 700 yards of offense uh and Joe Burrow um because he he bowed out early didn't quite crack the 500-yard passing to go with his seven touchdowns just wonderful Gerald have you ever watched a non-Texas football game that brought as much joy um no no I can't I can't think of one it just it just felt really really good to see that Uh, I actually funny enough watched the second half of that game getting dinner with a friend with a friend and her there there were a couple of ours and she's a huge LSU fan and just watching her like just gloat over as all these OU fans sadly left the restaurant it's just (laughs) it was a thing of beauty I love that. I love that. And then one other thing that has some some deep Texas implications. The uh, I was not laughing at a shot in front because I'm actually rooting for him. But Coach Manny Diaz struggled uh, in his bowl game. Admittedly, he had to play a home game. Went to Shreveport, where everyone wants their holiday destinations to be, to take on Louisiana Tech. Um, but Miami did not do so hot, falling 14 to zero to the Bulldogs. Um, that is another 10 win season on Texas's opponent bumping that strength of schedule which you know Gerald that really just serves to inflate after the Alamo Bowl victory our uh our, our starting position I'd say AP top top three next year for the horns I kid a little but come on now I'm gonna I'm gonna go against the beaten path I wish a lot of ill on Manny Diaz for what he did to Temple that's just kind of my own personal feelings Fair. like you take Fair. a job and then leave 17 days later like whatever Fair. I hope you lose anywhere you ever go that's just my own personal feelings though Fair, but I mean, admittedly, the kid is Miami's chosen son. You know, like, if you get that chance, like, ah, I get it, though. You're right. Fair point. I will temper my my good feelings for him and say uh, maybe you had this one coming. Maybe he's paid all of his dues now and he can have a decent career uh, there. But let's move to the the guys instead of who isn't here anymore, who are going to be here soon. Gerald, now it's done with football season. It's straight up crouton season. The only thing we have really to talk about football now is fake future football um, and the prospect of how uh, many thousands of yards each of these kids will rack up, even if they're on the defensive side of the ball, I guess, uh, for the Texas Longhorns. So, Gerald, you did the the research here, so I will toss it back over to you. We have two uh, big uh, All-American games coming up, the two of note, the Under Armour All-American game, as well as the Army All-American game back in the Alamo uh, Dome, so some of the kids will get to uh, get to pretend their, their most that they can be like uh, Devin DuVernay uh, playing in that stadium. Gerald, what, uh, what do you got breakdown-wise for both of these games? Across the two games, Texas has nine players uh, that are on the roster. Jaquin and Jackson won't be playing in the Under Armour game uh, because of his injury. But Hudson Card, Jake Majors, Keaton Crawford, Vernon Broughton, all Under Armour guys. So Card is actually having a really good start to his week. Uh, Greg Biggins was commenting that he was one of the better 
probably the top quarterbacks in that group early on in camp, uh, which is great because there's also a guy named Hayes King uh, who's playing there as well, who's going to that other school down the road. So Never seeing those heard guys, of him. Right. So you can catch them all in action Thursday at 5 Central Time. If you're listening to us, that'd be six for those of you on the East Coast. But uh, you'll get to see two of my favorite NFL defensive backs of all time, uh, Deion Sanders and Ed Reed as the head coaches of the two teams. Uh, on the Army All-American Bowl, the game that I would always go to live and in person, it's it's great to see a lot of these Texas kids playing there. Bijan Robinson, Prince Dorba, Xavier Alford, uh, and Andre Carrick, as well as uh, uncommitted but kind of Texas priority target Alfred Collins are all there as well. Uh, early in the, the the kind of drills, you saw Andre Carrick won a couple of one-on-one battles, and so did um, so did Vernon Broughton in at the, the Under Armour game. But getting to see uh, Andre Carrick, that guy's a dancing bear if I've ever seen one. Like, that guy, you put some Yancey on him, that guy's going to be a problem, and I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, it's yeah, ooh, it's going to be exciting. Carrick and Yancey sounds like a uh, sounds like an, an 80s uh, Captain Tennille-style band, but I love it. Uh, I'll say this. My favorite notes from the uh, the, the All-American Bowl games from the, uh, from the Under Armour game was Jake Major snapping to Hudson Card and just feeling the burnt orange of it all. That was wonderful. Um, in the Army, me All-American Bowl, um, you talked about uh, Texas target Alfred Collins um, being there. One guy who's also there is Keely Ringo, and I think he's the world's biggest troll, so even if he doesn't come to UT, I kind of love it. He showed up wearing a Longhorn uh, Longhorn bag and, and jacket, which you know caused the, the internet to go uh, a flutter, um, and then they said, uh, alright, all the Longhorn players jump in for a pitcher, and Keely Ringo jumped in the middle of Bijan, Prince, Dorba, Xavier Alford, and, and Carrick, and uh, I I'm I'm keeping my expectations very low. I, I feel like he is just trolling everyone and I kind of I kind of respect him and love it for it, but like Keely, if you're not playing with my expectations and you are going to be a Longhorn, we will love you. We will love you very dearly here in Austin. Quit playing games with my heart, Keely. No, I I think honestly is he likes a lot of the Texas guys, but has definitely already sided with Georgia. I think it's everything that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. That's my gut as well. So, uh, moving out of uh, of the future ranks, there's some Sunday players still going on the uh, the playoffs obviously right around the corner there was some some action for some players who who maybe don't necessarily get to play every week but put in hard work throughout the season and that paid off for a, a guy we like talking about here on this podcast uh, Andrew Beck got his first career touchdown for the Denver Broncos it was exciting to see um, hopefully that leads to to many many in the future for Beck who by all accounts is a, a fantastic teammate great great player and and hopefully has a long career so the uh, the final note here, uh, moving completely out of the football space, guys, we promise, um, the Texas women's basketball team announced that they're going to retire Clarissa Davis's number 24 jersey on March 8th. That's the final game of the season. And, and for those of, of a younger vintage or those who didn't follow women's sports, hey, what are you doing? Um, but uh, she, she was truly like a world beater. When we talk about Kevin Durant, like, wow, he was so good. The things he did on the men's side, he only won, um, the, uh, the player of the year. Once Clarissa Davis was the two time national player of the year, had a career winning percentage of nine twenty 
five. She is a national championship in 86, two-time Final Four player, won four Southwest Conference championships. So let's let's make that the standard women's basketball. You're on a hot streak. Let's keep it going. By the time they retire her jersey, let's get another banner to hang in the Raptors. Baylor who is all I'm going to say. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas pregamer. We may quiet down as we typically do in the offseason, but still, you never know. Follow the uh, Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Remember the Alamo. Oh.